Man, I sure love being a part of this church, and uh, I know that you do as well. Thanks for your faithfulness. Thank you for your generosity, and uh, let's go do some more amazing things over this next year as we keep trusting the Lord and uh, uh, as we're generous and faithful in serving Him. So, uh, hey, if you've got a Bible today, I want to invite you to take it and turn to Exodus chapter 3. If you want to use one of the Bibles around the room, uh, page 40, we'll have the verses on the screen. If you use something like the YouVersion app on your phone, uh, go ahead, Exodus 3, we'll get there in a moment. I'm Paul Mumaw. Uh, I get to be... Uh, and serve as lead pastor here at Genesis if you're new today. And I uh, sure would love the opportunity uh, to get you to meet you. We'll be up front uh, afterwards. But uh, as you're turning there, I, I was looking at an article. Uh, it's an article I've seen before, but looking at it again this past week, an article I, I think that originated with the Huffington Post. And uh, it was an article uh, highlighting a collection of actual complaints uh, received by one particular travel agency uh, from their customers. And so these vacationers would take a trip uh, and then would reply back with feedback, you know, based on their experience afterwards. And so this one particular travel company has put together a list of some of the best complaints they've received over the years, uh, like this one. Uh, someone wrote, you know, it's lazy of the local shopkeepers in Puerto Vallarta to close in the afternoons. Uh, I often need to buy things during siesta time. I think this should be banned. Uh, one other uh, family said, you know, on our holiday to Goa, India, I was disgusted to find that almost every restaurant served curry. Uh, I don't like spicy food. Uh, believe it or not, there was another. The beach was too sandy. We had to clean everything off when we turned to our room. Or uh, how about this one uh, wife, she wrote, they should not allow topless sunbathing at the beach. It was very distracting for my husband who was trying to relax. Uh, <laughs> Someone wrote, you know, I compared the size of our one-bedroom suite to our friend's three-bedroom suite, and ours was significantly smaller. Imagine that. Or uh, after visiting one of the Spanish-speaking countries, somebody replied, there were too many Spanish people there. The rep receptionist spoke Spanish. The food was Spanish. No one told us there would be so many foreigners. And... Uh, then finally, one of my favorites, uh, it took us nine hours to fly home from Jamaica to England. It took the Americans only three hours to get home. This seems a little unfair. <laughs> I don't know if those are true or not, but, uh, but they're funny. And, uh, but uh, as the one person replied, you know, this seems to be a little unfair. Do you ever feel like life is a little unfair? You know, as you think about your life, uh, I know that in the day and age that we live in, the community that we lived in, it's easy to compare to others' lives. And so sometimes you find yourself in situations and circumstances. You look at your life, you look at someone else's life, and it just seems a little unfair. And when troubles come our way, well, the fact is that we, we don't like when things uh, uh, come to us unexpectedly. You know, we, we want things to go as we've planned. And so we don't like pain. Who likes pain? Uh, we don't like suffering, and because we don't like pain and suffering, we'll go to great lengths to avoid it. And who wouldn't? But here's the problem. Here's the challenge that we face in life today. The reality is that pain is inevitable. I mean, it was Jesus that said, you're, you're going to face difficult times in your life, and no matter how new you are to church, uh, this may be completely brand new to you altogether. The reality is, I don't need you to tell, to tell you this, the struggle's a big part of life. Uh, and even as a follower of Christ, even as a Christian, uh, struggle is a big part of life. I mean, the fact is that probably everyone here today, uh, in some way, shape, or form, you've gone through a season of your life where there's been a struggle. And if you haven't gone through a season of struggle, rest assured, 
there's going to be a time, there's going to be a season in life when it will come. And it might be something that you get yourself into, that when you look back one day, you'll see some of the decisions that you made, and you'll be able to connect the dots and realize that, well, maybe I had a little bit to do with this position, this season that I'm finding myself in today. For others, uh, your pain might be the result of someone else's poor decisions, you know, maybe a spouse, maybe a child, maybe a parent, you know, someone that you love dearly, a friend, or it could be that just life hits you one day and hits you with a crisis that is beyond your control. And, well, the reality is that for some of you right now, uh, even today, even this morning, you find yourself in a mess and there's no one to blame. Uh, not you, not anyone else. Suffering is a part of life. Pain is a part of life. Every one of us has or will suffer. And what we want to suggest in this series is that it's how we get through it that really matters and where we turn, and how we grow during these seasons that really matters. In fact, how we respond to difficult circumstances in life can really set a course for the rest of our lives, and can really impact and influence those around us, those closest to us. And well, the reality is that it can impact your faith and your relationship with God all at the very same time. One, one teacher I know describes our spiritual journey uh, with God by highlighting three critical stages of faith. Uh, three critical stages of faith. The first stage uh, is a stage that she calls confident faith. And she says that it's in confident faith that, uh, you know, we have just found our way back to God. It's a stage that can last for a really long time. And in this stage, you know, we might say that we're really excited about what we've discovered. We're excited about uh, those changes that we're seeing around us, our outlook. Uh, uh, this is a stage in life where we maybe finally feel like that life is going, you know, the right way or moving in the right direction, even for the first time. And, and you know, maybe church is very exciting and prayer seems to be making a difference. And we feel a lot of joy and gratitude in this first stage that we'll call, that she calls confident faith. Now, no matter how long this stage of confident faith lasts, inevitably, at some point, we're going to find ourselves in a season or a stage of faith that she calls challenged faith. And it's in challenged faith that everything that once seemed to work in this stage of confident faith, well, it doesn't seem to be working anymore. And so maybe in this stage, all of a sudden, churches isn't as exciting as it used to be. Or, you know, this might be a stage where we feel like God's not listening or he's not responding to my prayers in any way. Or obedience doesn't seem to get me anywhere. Or uh, our doubts grow in this stage. Our, our faith, you know, is challenged. Questions emerge. Or, you know, we long for the days when we're, when we're in this season of challenged faith, we long for those days where things were new and fresh and exciting. You know, I can remember a, a season in my life a few years back where I just felt absolutely empty inside, and it didn't help that it had been a really dreary winter, uh, very cold, and I was tired and probably a little more depressed than I realized. I was definitely discouraged. Uh, I certainly was worn out, and my greatest realization uh, during this season of challenged faith was that I really wasn't taking my relationship with the Lord seriously, and so I had, had digressed, but it was very much a season of challenged faith for me. But what about you today? Where do you find yourself this morning? Are there circumstances in your life going on around you right now that are really challenging your faith? What is it that you're going through? 
Uh, when you came in today, you should have received the notes page, a little bit different than normal. Maybe you're using the app too and following along with the notes there. But we take that out for just a moment. I want you to notice up in the tight, our top uh, right corner, the words the blank and desert. And I don't think that formatted exactly the way uh, that I was intending it to. So I'm not looking for an adjective, all right? But I, I'm looking for something that pertains to you in your life right now. And think of it as your desert. What's your desert today? Take a moment and write down that thing or those things in your life that are causing you pain right now. What is it that's causing you to suffer? Write, write a word if you would. Write a, a couple of words. Draw a picture if you want. Something that represents the stage, the desert that you find yourself in today. And do that. And I'm sure for some of you it comes to you quite quickly or Maybe there'll be something you'll write down as we continue on today, and we're going to come back to that in just a moment, but I want you to be sure what you he uh, that you hear what I, I say next, and that is a third stage of faith. If there's this confidence stage of faith, if there's this challenge stage of faith, well, then the third stage is a stage that we're going to call a living faith. And I think a living faith is what we all hope for. I think it's something that we all aspire uh, to see take place in our life. A, a living faith is a deep faith. It's an unshakable faith that's capable uh, of standing strong, you know, during life's even most difficult circumstances. And chances are that, again, if you've spent some time around Genesis, if you've spent some time around other followers of Christ, you've probably bumped up against. You've probably gotten to know some people who are living or who demonstrate this living faith that I'm describing. And so you look up to them. And you wonder, you know, what? How, how did you get to where you are today? Or, you know, maybe their faith is present in everything that they do, in every decision that they make. Again, we want to call this a living sort of faith. And I think most of us, again, would say that we want this kind of faith. We want to get to that place because it's a faith that holds the course no matter what gets in the way. But here's the tough lesson. Here's the tough reality for each of us today. The only way to attain this living faith is to go through the season and the seasons of challenged faith. Because the truth is, the fact is, for most people that are living in this stage of living faith today, they've got a story or they've got a series of story that, stories that will describe for you the process, the reality, the hurt, the suffering, the pain and hardship that went along with this stage of challenged faith. And so for much of the series, for the next uh, few weeks, taking us all the way through uh, November, uh, most of our focus is going to be on this stage right here, the middle stage, the stage of challenged faith. And so the title of the series, I think, is appropriate, and that is, how do you get through what you're going through? How do we respond? How do you respond to this season of pain and suffering? And so we're going to spend uh, a little time every week in the Old Testament uh, over the next four weeks together, especially in the book of Exodus. Uh, but before we get to our passages this morning, starting in Exodus chapter 3, I want to give you a little bit of background first about what has happened in the world up to this point uh, in the book of Exodus. Uh, Exodus is the historical account of a group of people called the Israelites. And the Israelites are God's people. Uh, God had set them apart at the be very beginning of time to be a unique blessing and mission to the world. They were special to God. And we get, read, or we get to read about their spiritual journey all through the 
the, 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 what we know as the Old Testament. Well, at one point in history, during a, a, a period of severe famine in Israel, in their land, the Israelites escaped their devastated home and went looking for refuge in the nearby country that we know as Egypt. And they went there because one of their own, one of their own Israelites had previously gone there, a man by the name of Joseph, who had found favor with the Egyptian king. And so the king gave these new Israelites coming, he gave them uh, favor, he gave them their own land, and they enjoyed a good season. But unfortunately, this good season with the Egyptian king is going to come to an end. Actually, a different king, but uh, have you ever heard the phrase before, fish-like company spoils after a few days? All right, well, it's been more than a few days, all right? It's been a, a few hundred years, and so for the Israelites, these once welcome guests in Egypt are now forced to become slaves in Egypt. And as a result, they were mistreated. Uh, it was a brutal season uh, in their history. They were abused. Again, this horrific time for them. And so the question that as you read, uh, especially if it's new to you, that we can ask, that we ought to ask is, how will they get through what they're going through? Well, today we're going to look at two different scenes in their story and see how they responded to each. And so if you've got Exodus chapter 3 open uh, there, uh, starting in verse 2, uh, again, it's at this point in the story where God is choosing a man named Moses, also an Israelite, to lead these people out of slavery in Egypt. And in Exodus, it says that Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law in the wilderness when the following encounter with God took place. Let's pick it up in Exodus chapter 3. Verse 2, it says, There the angel of the Lord appeared to him, appeared to Moses, in flames of fire from within a bush. Uh, Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it didn't burn up. Now, can you imagine an event like this? Imagine you are out, all alone, out in the wilderness, tending to sheep, or tending to, to sheep, and a bush is on fire. The scriptures say that it's not going to burn up, and there's a voice that calls you from it. Now, all throughout the Bible, fire is used as a frequent sign of God's presence. And so especially if you're an early reader or listener to this account, uh, this, this would strike a chord that this is something of great importance, all right? That something very important uh, is happening here. And so the original reader or listener would have noticed this. Now, read for yourself, all right? And you'll find how Moses sees the burning bush. If you look at these next few verses, uh, he walks over to investigate the situation. And as he gets closer, the Lord speaks to him from this burning bush. Uh, pick it up in verse 7. It says, the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Now skip over verse 10. He says to Moses, so now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Now, there's a number of different things that are happening in these few passages and with a whole uh, you know, number of historical events leading up to it. But one thing I want you to notice is this. What were the people of Israel doing in response to their suffering? Look at verse 7 again. Let's find it together. It says, the Lord said, I have seen the misery of my people in Egypt and I have heard them say it with me crying out. And I just want you to notice there and right away that God, like a loving father who cares deeply about his children, what's his reaction? He sees them. He hears them. He's concerned for them. How are the Israelites responding in the middle of their suffering? They cry out to God. 
They are turning to God. They are crying out to God. In the middle of their suffering, they are reaching out for God. And as they encounter, and as we can see here today, they encounter this loving God, this loving Father. It's important for us to see and realize that this God of the Israelites is the same God who sees you. This God of the Israelites is the same one that sees you. This is true for every person here today. He sees every person, every family, every hurt, every burden. There's no, it it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter your story today. It doesn't matter how long it's been since you've sat in a church. It doesn't matter the circumstances surrounding you in your life right now. He sees you. He hears you. Our God, our Father is concerned about you and your pain and your suffering. This just This isn't just some ancient story or fable that is told. This is a real example of our loving God and his love for these people and his desire to respond to them in their pain. Now, let's keep going. If you'll turn over a handful of chapters uh, over to Exodus 13, I want you to see how God intervened and how he responded to the cries of his children. Uh, Through Moses... He led the Israelites, if you know this story, out of slavery in Egypt. But one extremely important detail that we don't want to miss uh, is this. In Exodus chapter 13, uh, starting in verse 17, we read, it says, When Pharaoh let the people go, notice this, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter. For God said if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by the desert road toward the Red Sea, and the Israelites went up out of Egypt ready for battle. Now, do you all know the difference between highway people and country road people, right? How how many of you are highway people? When I say highway people, it's point A to point B as quickly as possible, right? Okay, you know, time is of the essence. But then there are country road people, and that is that what's the reason to hurry? How many of you are country road people? You enjoy the journey, all right? You enjoy the sights. You enjoy the sounds, all right? You're not in as big of a hurry. You may read this and think God must be a country road God, you know? He's a country road sort of a God. I mean, why didn't he lead them on the shorter route through the promised land? Why the desert road? I mean, ending up in the desert doesn't feel like rescue, does it? But in life like that sometimes? I mean, we try and do the right things, or we, we go to church, or maybe you practice praying, and wouldn't you know it, one day you find yourself traveling a road in life that no one would want to travel, and you sure wouldn't wish it on anyone else. I want you to think about it like this. Uh, we've included today, again, in your notes, uh, if you take this out, an illustration will different for us. I want you, as you take a look at this illustration, just imagine this. In the lower left hand uh, is the land of Egypt, all right? If you would, think about the pyramids there. And let's just say this represents where you are right now uh, and in your life. And on the upper right hand is the promised land, all right? It's the land of 2% milk and uh, honey, if you see there. And so uh, let's let uh, the promised land represent some sort of goal uh, that you've set for yourself, something that you hope to achieve. Let me, let me give you an example uh, in my life. I, I got a chance to live this out with my son yesterday. And uh, I've told you plenty of times, you probably get sick of hearing that we, our family, we run, all right? It's just something that we do. And uh, my seventh grade son and 
I ran the uh, Indy Monumental Half Marathon, very clearly, half marathon uh, yesterday, and yes, he beat me by about 10 minutes, all right? And I expected it, all right? I knew it was going to happen, but I have a strategy of sorts at 41 years of age. I'm staying healthy, all right? I've got the Senior Olympics in mind. I figure all of these fast runners are just wearing down their bodies, and I'm going to be good to go, you know, in about another 20, 25 years. I want you to be able to say your pastor's an Olympian, all right? So again, I've got the Senior Olympics in mind. But anyway, we ran the Indy Monumental yesterday, the half, and my goal, I guess you could say my promised land, was to run those 13.1 miles and feel strong and certainly not to walk, and so I trained fairly well, and I was feeling good at the start. But having done some races like these before, I know about mile 10, all right? And, you know, if you run marathons, you know about mile 20. But for the half marathon, mile 10 can be like a wall, and the same with 11 and 12 and pushing all the way through the finish. And so uh, there's the pressure, you know, when you hit mile 10 to give up, you know, because it's hard or to turn back. Or at the same time, you've got to wrestle, you know, should I keep going? How do I keep going? Knowing that things like pain and suffering can help propel me towards the finish. And well, what's at the finish? Well, in my case, what's at the finish? What keeps me going? There are things like donuts, right? And chocolate milk, you know, and the thoughts of a Five Guys hamburger, which I did enjoy last night very much. Uh, Excellent. But uh, do this. Think about a goal of yours for a moment, all right? Looking at this illustration, think about one of your goals. Maybe it's a goal to lose weight. Uh, maybe it's a goal to get in better shape, to do something like running, to, t- to do a, a couch to 5K or something. Maybe it's a college degree. Uh, maybe it's to go back and, and get your high school diploma. Maybe, maybe your goal is to be debt-free as a, as a person or as a family. Whatever it is, all right, the road to the promised land will eventually lead you through the desert. And so how you respond when you get hungry, how you respond when you get tired or when you want to quit or when you think it would be easier to just go back to Egypt, how you respond makes all of the difference, really, and whether or not you're ever going to find yourself in the promised land. And the same is true with your faith. The same is true with our faith. In fact, looking at your message notes there, and if you haven't done it already, and I know you're smart people, so you probably have already jumped to this, uh, you'll see that Egypt represents confident faith, all right? And that's where most of us start when we find our way back to God. But up in the right-hand corner, again, the promised land, that's living faith. That's where we want to get. That's what we want life to look like. It's what we hope to achieve. You know, when we have living faith, you know, even the big things, well, they don't shake us as much as they used to. And when difficult things happen in our life, but we have living faith, well, that's when we're pressed in on all sides but not crushed, persecuted but not abandoned, struck down but not destroyed. That's our goal. That's where we want to be. But here's the problem. The road to living faith runs right through the desert. And the only way to get to living faith is on the road of challenged faith. And so many times and in so many circumstances, and I won't pretend to understand it completely, but that's God's road for us. That's the path that he has in mind for us. His his path of rescue runs right through the desert of challenged faith, and it's a place where God is at work. And he's not abandoned us, but maybe we don't feel like our prayers are working or being listened to, or we wonder how long it's going to take, or if he, if he cares. We may be even in these seasons begin to doubt our faith and to ask questions, to question his existence or whether or not he is really good or not. Let's look back at the story of the Israelites for just a couple more moments. You'll, you'll find that God proved himself in the desert in so many amazing ways for these people. 
Uh, I mean, and it's, it's on the desert road. Keep this in mind that they experienced these things, like in Exodus chapter 13, uh, verse 21. How did God provide? We read by the day, or by day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way. All right, and by night in a pillar, of, a pillar of fire to give them light so that they could travel by day or by night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. So how, how did God provide for them? Well, he guided, all right, and they saw it with their own eyes. Uh, Exodus 14, turn over if you would, verse 21. How did he provide here? Well, a little later on it says, then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong uh, east wind and it turned into dry land. The waters were divided and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground, all right, with a wall of water on their right and on their left. How did he provide? How did he provide again in Exodus 15, verse 22? A little later on, it says, Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went into the desert of Shur. And for three days, they traveled in the desert without finding any water. And when they came to Marah, this place, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. So the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What are we to drink? And then Moses cried out to the Lord on their behalf. The Lord showed him a piece of wood. He threw it in the water, and the water became fit to drink. I want you to notice that it was on the desert road that they experienced these things, that they watched God do some amazing things for them. And their faith was challenged for sure. And you'd think that by witnessing God operating in these incredible ways, they'd be great for the rest of the journey, right? Well, wrong. How did these Israelites respond in the next challenging season? One more time over in Exodus 16, verse 2, it says, in the desert, The whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted, but you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Again, even after all that has happened and all that they've gone through, everything they've seen God do and provide for them, these additional challenges are enough to cause their faith to crumble. And so they're complaining about what they don't have, and their cries to the Father have turned into complaints. Same group of people, two different responses. In Egypt, they're crying out to God. In the desert, they're complaining to him. I want you to see this morning that there is a distinct difference between crying out to God and complaining to God. Look at it like this. uh, Jenny and I, one evening this past week, I had my computer open. We were standing in the kitchen around the kitchen counter. The kids had already gone to bed, and we just kind of got caught up in looking at some old pictures and some old videos uh, of our children and just how they've grown over the years. And, and if you're a parent, you know what that's like. And there were tears. Stre- I, I tried to hold them back as long as I could, uh, being a tough guy and all, but, you know, it just the tears were streaming down my face. I turned to see the very same for Jenny. And I've got all sorts of great memories. And if you've got kids or if you've had kids, I mean, you might probably recognize this, just that moment, you know, even those moments when your young kids come, you know, walking up to you and they, they hold up their hands like this, you know, and maybe with words like up or, or help me or up daddy or something. And you pick them up in that moment and you grab them and you hold on to them. And it's a wonderful feeling. But 
Um, if your kids have gotten a little older, you know, and my kids are getting a little older, uh, think about uh, how time changes, you know, or when they begin to discover a little bit of their own independence. I mean, all of a sudden, this posture of arms raised needing help can sometimes turn into this, right? You know, arms crossed, you know, about this is what I expect or this is what I would like or I'm not really hap- uh, happy about how things are progressing right now. And so, you know, this kind of posture says I'm upset. You know, I'm not pleased. And so a cry looks like this. You know, again, a complaint looks like this. A complaint, really, when you think about it, is a verbal raid against the injustices that have been inflicted on us. It's our way of saying, you know what, I want control here. I'm not happy. There are some things that I expect. But a cry, on the other hand, is more of a deep lament. It's more of a plea for help in the middle of our suffering. Really, the difference boils down to one thing. It's our helplessness. Uh, It's coming before God helpless. And and crying out, we express our helplessness before him. It's where we come to him weary. It's where we come to him empty-handed. And crying out, we express our need for more of God. And even though we don't understand, we trust him. But complaining, complaining is lethal to trusting God. And instead of entrusting him, complaining reveals an attitude that really says, I know what's best. Here's what I demand of you. Here's what I expect. And we expect God to respond accordingly. Jeff Mannion has written this great book, and I'd recommend it to any one of you to read, especially if you're going through a difficult season right now, but a book called The Land Between, a pastor, Jeff Mannion. He says it this way. He says, there is something about enduring a season of unremitting difficulty that is faith clarifying. The question before us is this, will we endure this trial? And then he challenges you to fill in your own blank, whether that be unemployment or infertility, a runaway teenager or runaway spouse, unexplained depression, humiliating financial setback. He says, but to endure this trial and still possess a faith that is alive and well. He says, we will pass through this vast disappointment and still cling to the belief that God is good, that God is wise, that God is loving. You know, there's the question of will we trust God, all right, or will our faith in a good, wise, and loving God evaporate as our patience grows thin and our spirits tire? Again, we have this choice to make. How will we respond in this season of suffering and pain in this desert that we find ourselves in? Here's the bottom line for you today. Every one of us is going to find ourselves in a season, in a desert really, of challenged faith. They're going to go through that. We're all going to go through difficult times. And some of you are struggling in it right now. You're there today. Take a look one more time, if you would, if you don't have it open to that desert item for you, that one thing. And I just want you to think about it for a moment. And again, what, 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 what has you feeling disappointment or disillusioned or even questioning your faith today? Again, maybe, maybe it's that your marriage has been nothing more than a desert. Uh, maybe it's a rebellious child. Maybe it's a health crisis that you find yourself in or, again, someone that's closest to you. Maybe it's your greatest fears. Maybe it's an addiction right now or sin in your life. Here's the thing. You have two possible responses to God and the desert you find yourself in. And one is to complain to him and to reject him and run from him and turn from him. Or number two is you can cry out to God. It's okay to cry out to him. 
it's okay to go to him in your helplessness. It's more than okay. It's what he wants and what he wants for you and for me and for our relationship with him. I was thinking this past week about how every week uh, I see God drawing me uh, deeper into this helpless uh, dependence on him. And uh, there's a prayer journal that I keep. And if there is one word that is written over and over and over and over again in my prayer journal, it's the word help. And uh, it's almost a little embarrassing when I go back and look at it of all the times that I write the word help, almost to the point I don't want anyone to ever see it, all right? You know, that this is mine and this is private. It's between me and God. But more than I realize and more than we realize, it's what he wants for us. And it's what he wants for you and your relationship with him. Our faith is about getting to the place where he is the only one we can count on. That no matter what, no matter what comes our way, he is the only one that can pull us through. He is the only one that can help you get through what you're going through. See, the truth is that God takes everyone he loves through the desert. And if you let it, the, the, the desert can become fertile ground, really for some of the greatest things that he wants to do in your life. Because again, it's in the desert that we realize that God is all we have and that he's all that we can count on and that he is more enough. Uh, writer and pastor Paul Miller says it like this. He says, the best gift of the desert is God's presence. It's his presence for us. He, he, he likes to look at the 23rd Psalm to remind us of that. So let's, well, let's do this. Let's take a close look at that together as we close. And we've got the words here on the screen and I just wondered if we could read these words out loud together from Psalm 23. Uh, this is David's cry, all right? The reality of his desert written down for us, but for each of us today. Will you read it with me? Let's read it together. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pasture. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You know, one uh, realization uh, that the Lord pointed out to me in looking at this passage and studying these so familiar words this past week is that the shepherd, again, if you notice, is in front. David says, he goes out in front. He's the one that leads me beside the still waters. Uh, at the very end of the psalm, he, he is behind me. You know, when David says, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. But in the middle, as I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, where's God? He's next to me. And David responds, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. And it's his presence. And maybe for you today, the reality of his presence, the hope of his presence, that gives us the strength to keep going and to keep trusting. Please hear me when I say there's nothing wrong with wanting God to take you out of or to take you through or pull you through the desert and sometimes he does and many times he will but sometimes the journey is very long and sometimes it can be very difficult but here's what's true he's a father 
that has promised to always be with us, to be with you in the pain. And he will hear your cries. And I promise you today that he will not abandon you in your desert. Our band is going to sing this song over you. And I want to invite you to use this time as a time of prayer and reflection, maybe even a moment in crying out to God. So just sit and listen to this song as they sing.
This morning, as you bow your heads, you know, even Jesus, when you think about it, went through a time of challenged faith. You know, on the night before he died, he cried out to his father, and if he asked if there was another way, I mean, could he be delivered from his suffering? But there was no other way, and so Jesus endured the most difficult desert anyone could ever imagine when he gave his life on the cross. It was on the cross that he asked why his heavenly father had forsaken him. But by doing so, Jesus, well, he, he paved a way through. He made a way through. And because he suffered and because he endured a period of separation from God, he did this so that you would never have to. You don't have to live alone. You don't have to go through this desert today alone. So, Father, we pray today. I, I pray, Lord, that in ways that only you can, that you would impress on each person here today the reality of your presence. And for those that are here today that have trusted Christ but maybe find themselves in a series of a season of challenged faith right now, I pray that it would just be the reminder of your truth and your presence and the friend and Father that you are for us and that you go alongside of us and you lead the way and you are ready and willing and able to provide and we won't pretend to always understand why you lead those that you love through the desert but we do cling to the promises of your presence and your provision and your goodness and your love and our hope is in you and our faith is in you and we recognize that these light and momentary afflictions are temporary and that there is an eternal glory awaiting for every person here today lord i pray you would provide supernatural strength to those that are here today. Strength from heaven, Lord. The strength and the hope to keep going. I pray that we can be a church family that loves each other and we love each other well and we stand and we walk through and we hold each other up in our most difficult seasons. But I also want to pray, Lord, for, well, for that man or that woman, that student that's here today and they don't have a relationship with you. 
But Father, you had in mind to bring them into this place today to encounter you in a way like they never have before. And if that's you today, and if you've never trusted Christ, you've never invited the Lord's presence into your life, you can do that right now, even where you're seated today. And you can cry out to him. You can just pray even right now, Lord, I need you in my life. And I don't completely understand. The one thing I know today is that I need you and I am desperate for you. And you can pray a prayer like that and the promise is that the Lord will come into your life and he will be with you and he will walk you. And man, as a church and as a family and as a staff, we'd love to help you in those first steps and helping you get started in your journey with the Lord because there's nothing like it and there's no greater hope that we can have. Father, we thank you for your promises. We thank you for the words of that song today that we are never alone. And I pray that those would ring true for us and be a consistent reminder, even as we walk out these doors and all week long, we're thankful for you, for Jesus, that you've made a way through and that you are a faithful and a loving father. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.